Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Today, you'll be hearing from Paulette Pinheiro, a leadership coach and author who helps Latinas and other women of color go from burned out to thriving in their careers. But she didn't get to the point where she could help other people without her own trials. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited for the listeners to get to know you. So let's start off with you just briefly telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Paulette Pinheiro. And in addition to being a mom, a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> uh, I am the founder and CEO of Lean Media LLC. And what I strive to do is clear paths for systemically overlooked leaders, because as a Latina, like that's how it felt. It was, I was being overlooked. I was a leader, but you have to address the systemic piece. Uh, so they can really turn their purpose into impact because I am all about building great leaders, but building great leaders that are going to make ish happen. <laughs> Always have to say, if I like you and I like you and I love your listeners, I tell people in the first three minutes that I meet them, I am from Puerto Rico. I am Boricua. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because that is so important and such an integral part of me and who I am and how I approach my work that as important as it is to be a founder and CEO, being Boricua, being from Puerto Rico is as important as that. So the clients that you work with, what are people coming to you for? Like, what are the main issues you're seeing? Like, what are they sharing with you? I mostly work with Latinx leaders and women of color and whether it's career or business or both, right? When they merge I want to keep my nine to five, but I'm building this side hustle that it's going to be, you know, my, my full-time business. I want to be a full-time entrepreneur. I have clients who are educators or are in education, executive directors and nonprofits, VPs in, in banking, folks that work in policy, people that work in this, the STEM field. But there's three things that leaders are looking for. One it's building their knowledge and skills around managing staff. So really honing in into their leadership styles and how they can lead authentically so they can build equitable workplaces or equity-focused businesses. The second thing they're looking for is they want to find their gente. They want to find their people because even though they have great networks or family support or no networks and no support, it's really like, where are the people that like me are looking to grow professionally, really care about the work that they do and can support what I'm doing? Because this is hard. 
Yeah. As important as it is to have your, you know, your success team work with a coach, work with a mentor, have a sponsor, you also need people like on the group chat that it's not just about fun and what we're doing for brunch, but this happened at work. This is what an employee said to me. What books do you recommend? Mm -hmm. What podcast should I listen to? I want to scream at someone and I can't do that. Do you have five minutes? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that is real right there. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So really finding their hand, building their network around their leadership. Right. Around what they do at work or business around leadership and how they show up. And then the third piece that they're looking for is really build their professional brand and get clear on what their zone of genius is. What is it that they do, how they talk about it, and find ways to amplify that message. Because as important as it is to have a mentor and a sponsor, and I help all my clients build their professional success teams, like how do I get my word out there? Like how do I attract the right opportunities, the right staff, the right brands, the right people? So folks know from the beginning what I do, who I am, and what are my values. And those are the three things. Yeah. And I just want to highlight like that building the network is really important. And we think like, oh, we can talk to our peers, just our general friends about what is going on. But if people aren't in the same industry as you, if they don't have the professional goals you have, their work experiences might look really different. What you're saying might not resonate. They might not understand some of the language you use. Like I'm I'm thinking of the difference of us talking to coworkers in our work days and then how we switch our language and talk to everybody else in our lives. And so sometimes when we're sharing stories, that gets confused. And the person's trying to like keep up with lingo, basic lingo about your industry, your job that you know, they don't know anything about. And so that it seems like it's extra important to find people who like know what you're doing, understand your goals. They don't just love you, but they get it and they're headed in the same direction or even a few steps ahead of you where you want to be. I I tell folks, so I spent 16 years in the nonprofit field, but in the nonprofit field, I worked in human services. I worked in education. I worked in higher ed, the work development (laughs) By itself is like and nonprofit is fundraising, but its STEM is, you know, something else. And in the finance field, it's something else. And I'm like, I have to remember development means something different, like outside of this space. Yeah, all that lingo and the way that we use language. Yeah. And, you know, each industry, I feel like, tell me if you have seen this, like really prides themselves on their lingo, loves it, overuses the word. And the acronyms. Yes, oh, the acronyms, God. like enough with, I mean, yes, I want to be able to communicate with people in, in my field, but the acronyms and all the little lingo feels a little corny sometimes, I'm going to say, <laughs> a little corny. And it also excludes people who need to be a part of the conversation because we don't just work in silence. Right. Yes. And dual language learners, please don't do this to me. (laughs) I've been living in Massachusetts for 12 years, but I was born, raised and started my career in Puerto Rico. I'm a dual language learner. Like everything that you're saying, I'm translating in Spanish to like respond in English to then absorb. And the acronyms are not good for folks who are, um, you know, have assisted devices. They're not inclusive and mm. equitable for dual language learners. 
or English language learner. So please stop it. Yeah. Do, do us a favor. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, you're corny too. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, I want to know a little bit more about you. Like, how did you get into this work? I started my career very young, and my career was inspired by my abuela, by my grandmother. My grandmother was a director at the Department of Labor in Puerto Rico until she retired. Then she launched a company. Um, she had a, a, a farm and she started bottling water and selling water. Then she sold that company and then she started writing books and uh, short films. Like she's, she's someone who is very clear on her strengths, but throughout her whole life, she was involved with nonprofits. So at a very young age, I was 12, I joined nonprofit board as a volunteer. So when I graduated from high school, I started working with a nonprofit doing radio and TV pre-production. What? Yes, on the weekends, they had their, their name is Prensa Comunitaria, Community Press in Puerto Rico, and they had short film, newspapers, TV and radio to showcase the communities, especially marginalized communities in Puerto Rico. So they have the capacity and the opportunity to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned about how nonprofits work how to get funding and really develop programs with that funding. So all of these amazing things can happen. I started with developing like smaller programs and piloting and seeing how they work and training people and do it until, you know, by the end of my nine to five career, I was doing that in a national scale with million, $5 million grants and teams and staff across the nation. Uh, but that was that, that's how I started and, and you know, Googling a lot. <laughs> that hands-on experience is invaluable. So that's really amazing. Um, as you, you know, kind of continued through your working life, I guess, tell us about the first time you had an experience at work that didn't feel right, like felt like it could have been racially motivated or sexist. It's like something's off here about the way that I'm being treated. So I, at a very young age, uh, I started experience sexism and now as an adult and as a mom, you're like, oh no, 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 no. I was 16. I was 17. Uh, <laughs> I was 18, but I, I became a mom when I was 20 years old. Uh, with my son, Alex. And that also meant that, you know, for all the moms out there, your body changes. You're all of it. (laughs) All of it. Uh, So comments at work, I used to work at a, I used to do this work, but our host was a college. It was a university. And what did we go? We take our outfits really seriously. Oh, fashion. Okay. Yeah, so like I used to wear a blazer and dress pants and high heels to work. And there was, you know, older male uh, co-workers or from other departments would like make comments about like, those pants really look good on you. Uh. Or, 
you know, when you started working here, um, you know, you wouldn't have like, if, if it was like, fixing my shirt because of the buttons in the front. Oh, and you started working here. You didn't have that problem. That baby, you know, held your body. What? I was raised by my grandmothers and as strong and powerful as they were, I was raised with the calladita de was bonita. Like you just stay quiet, mm -hmm. do your job, clock in, clock out, be thankful of these opportunities, especially because I was so young and then I, I was a, a single mother. So they were like, you're doing this for Alex, you, you're a troublemaker, you always have something to say. Um, but I, at the same time, I realized how privileged I am because even though I'm, I'm a woman, I have experienced a, a lot of sexism and discrimination in Puerto Rico, I have privilege because I am not Afro-Latina. I am not a black woman. So when there's a lot of anti-blackness in the Latino community, there's a lot of anti-blackness in Puerto Rico. And I got that slap when I moved to Massachusetts mm -hmm. <laughs> because when I came to Massachusetts, I was no longer Boricua. I was no longer Puerto, Puerto Rican. I was Latina. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, understand. And then you're like, oh my God, all this xenophobia, all this discrimination, all this racism that I'm experiencing. And then having to come to terms of like, but, but I still have privilege, but I still can never understand, you know, what Black women, what Black trans women experience, what non-binary folks experience. Mm -hmm. And that's really you know, addressing my own bias and my own discrimination and my own system, you know, my uh, internalized oppression. So it's a, it, I, I try to balance all that discrimination, all that sexism and remind myself of like, you still have privilege use. Then when I move into Massachusetts, I experience a lot of racism uh, from you shouldn't apply for these jobs because I need you here because we all know Latinos get the job done. So no, I'm not going to approve your promotion because I need you to do my work. Yes. Oh, Lord. <laughs> just what uh, people would think before they just open their mouths. And my Latino coworker said it to me. Don't apply. You won't get it. Really? They keep us here. Wow. And for, for people listening who don't know, like, just going to say like Massachusetts is known to be really racist. Um, yes. If you are Boston. familiar, yeah, Boston is really like the highlight of it. And I think what throws people off because, you know, the assumption in this country is like the South, the South, the South, it is not as blatant sometimes, right? Massachusetts is the most, I believe it's the most educated state. Um, yes. So when you have very sophisticated racism, very liberal racism, you know, mm -hmm. it can be, a, it can be sneakier. So those of you who aren't familiar with this type of approach, if you're familiar with more in your face, aggressive racism, um, you know, both are horrible, but I think there's something really confusing and sneaky and like creepy about um, liberalized <laughs> uh, yes. New England, Northeast type of racism because you can't always see it coming. And unless you're just like super aware and almost looking for it, you can get caught up in a lot of situations that are discriminatory. Oh, yes. So that's why I have a TikTok series that I think is exactly what I talk about because 
And then people ask me, where do you live? Massachusetts. Or this happened in Boston. They're like, what? And I'm like, yes. Yep. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, people forget. It's like, It looks different everywhere, but it's everywhere. <laughs> like, so, okay. So I, I saw you. I saw you for the first time online, good old social media. You can meet everybody on social media. And I saw you sharing a story about um, an encounter in a bathroom that has, that I felt like I had heard a version of that so many times. It struck a chord and I was like, I need to talk to you. So do you (laughs) mind sharing with our audience um, a bit of that situation? Yeah. So I had been working in human services and I was a director and an organization. They were the ones who reached out to me. They said, we've, we've been looking at your LinkedIn. We've been looking, we've we've Googled you. Um, And someone recommended you for this senior role. We want to interview you. Could you come into our office for an interview? Mm -hmm. And this was the first time in my career that I was applying for the I know how to do 60% of the role. So I was already very nervous uh, to go into this interview, but I was like, oh my God, they called me. Like they reached out. They were like, please, please, please. So I, you know, I put on my blazer and like feeling all good. And before uh, this organization shared their floor with two other organizations that all serve, uh, you know, youth and we're all about equity and inclusion. And, you know, it looks, it looks beautiful on the website. That's, <laughs> we all know those, uh, know all those companies and organizations that it looks good on the, on the website, what they say, but let's see what the employees and, and stakeholders say. So I go into the bathroom, full on makeup, <laughs> yeah. dress for the, the interview and uh, this young woman comes out of the, the stall next to me and I'm washing my hands. And she looks at my face and says, could you empty the trash? It's full. She just looked at my face and I stood there like an idiot. I, could, I couldn't do anything. I was completely frozen I, I want to do that now, (laughs) but it was so discouraging. She just saw Latina cleaning. Mm -hmm. She just washed her hands and looked at me and kept looking at me. Why is she not moving? Why is she not doing what I told her to do? And I just stood there frozen about to walk into an interview (laughs) for a role that I was very excited And I just walked out and went into the interview. I don't know how I got that job because I was, that's all I could think about. And I left that interview and I went to my car and I cried for 30 minutes in that car because it's one of those things that reminds you that it doesn't matter what degree you have. It doesn't matter what your resume says. doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter how much you work. She only saw short, <laughs> fat Latina. She saw me and she said, that is your place and that's what you should be doing. To her, I, 
I was only worthy of emptying the trash bag. And I, I don't have anything against people in the service industry, but the stereotype, the beliefs, the bias just blinded this person to see me as something else. I would imagine, you know, you're a leadership coach. You are working with people who are fighting these same stories every day. They have these goals, these dreams. They've worked really hard to get to where they are and probably have to face and sit there and, and realize that so many people that look at them who are even evaluating their leadership are really only thinking about them as somebody to empty the trash. How do you encourage folks through that? How do you encourage yourself through that? I keep reminding myself my why. What is my purpose? Black and brown women, let's get very clear on our purpose or why. What is it that motivates us to keep moving forward? And your why can be about helping other people, right? My why is to clear paths for systemically overlooked leaders so they can turn their purpose into impact. I've built my business around that. But I do that because I, I deserve to occupy space and my child, my daughter deserves to occupy space. So it's about, you know, my comunidades, my communities, about women of color, but it's also because I deserve to occupy those spaces because I want my daughter to have it easier so she can occupy her those spaces and create an impact in the world. So understanding your purpose and your why. And then the other piece is redefining success because we spend so much of our lives defining success based on other people's success. When you do that, you are building a life that doesn't make sense for you. So if I, I, I tell, tell my clients, like, who are people that you go on Instagram and you envy? Lean into that thought for a second and ask yourself, what are you seeing in that person that you are missing in your life? What will that give you? Mm -hmm. Will that give you confidence? Will that give you clarity? Will that give you peace of mind? Will having a seven-figure salary, well, then you can help your family. You don't have to worry about it, right? What is it that you're going to get out of that? And then once you know what success means to you, then you can build a plan. When you decided to sit down and really think and define success for yourself. Is that how you were able to kind of overcome some of your perfectionist habits? I know you call yourself a recovering perfectionist. Yes, yeah, not in therapy. <laughs> in therapy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, career-wise and pressure-wise and trying to do all the things you're trying to do and, and people looking at at you and and other women feel like this, right? Other women have the same um, struggle with perfectionism because of the pressure. Um, do you feel like re looking at you know what success is for them is is part of the way to overcome that? Yeah, and both, right? When I was very clear on my purpose, it's like why do I always stay in nonprofits or why am I doing so so much work around equity inclusion? I'm in the committee, I'm doing workshops, and this and that, right? In my career, when I was clear on my purpose. And when I was clear on what I define success, 
I stopped caring about the salary. I was able to identify my non-negotiables. I was able to identify exactly what I wanted for my life and how to get in and how to surround myself with people that really cared about that. So I went for, I stopped code switching. Like that's what it is. Oh, wow. because, because I was like, no one can tell me the, the opposite. And then I started reading and I, I had become a, a career coach for one of my roles for that job that my manager told me that oh, she was not going to give me the right. promotion because I got the numbers. Um, and I had been mentoring and having all these like uh, my husband, I launched my business because my husband said, you can't go to brunch and coach people for free every Sunday. Like you need to start billing for this. And it's nice that they pay for brunch because I used to tell them. Well, just take me to brunch. Oh, wow. That was your currency, brunch. <laughs> yes, brunch, uh, mimosas, and a goat It's waffle. not a bad idea, though. Brunch is really <laughs> expensive, and we love lots of mimosas. So, Yes. <laughs> uh, but when I got clear on my purpose and I got clear on, um, you know, that, that really that why, and I, I knew what success meant to me, I just, I just wrote it down. I told people it became easier. I did what I had to do, but I stopped code switching because now it was about me and what I needed to be successful, right? My employer became my partner because this is my output. What is the input that I'm receiving for me to continue giving you this output? Right, right. Because it's definitely a salary isn't enough. It can't just mm-hmm. be that ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think, you know, everybody needs to think about what that success looks like for them. And I mean, to not code switch, eh, I'm just imagining what life would be like to live that authentically all the time. It's day-to-day work and it's, you know, I talk about it with my therapist too. And I do a lot of professional development. Uh, I got my certification, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I do a lot of work, I, you know, assessing my own biases internalized systemic oppression and, you know, really addressing, is this me or is this by design? And what control do I have around this situation? Mm-hmm. I was like, this is me and this is who you get. And um, I'm a badass. Yes. <laughs> you better get with the program. <laughs> you better get with the program. Thank you so much, Paulette. Like this is, this is great. And I appreciate you for, you know, being really vulnerable and sharing a tough story, um, but also definitely inspiring us to to keep going even when we have those really bad days. <laughs> of course. Sometimes we just need someone else to give us permission to be like, yeah, you should do this or you should stop doing this. And you're like, I know, but thank you for giving me permission. Now I feel like I can move forward and it's fine. It's fine. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Sometimes we just need a co-signer <laughs> for sure. Yes. Thank you so much. Paulette is such a wealth of knowledge and it was so great talking to her. If you're ready to take the next step in your career and you need some help, check out Paulette's business, Lead Media. Only a few more episodes in the season, y'all. This is crazy. We'll be back next week.